Little bit of a heavy question for you today to start our message out. If you had 24 hours to live, what would you do with that time? If you knew that you only had 24 hours left to live, how would you spend the time? Who would you spend the time with? What would you tell them? What would you make sure that you passed on to them? The reason why I'm asking something that is a fairly heavy and challenging question for us to reflect on is because we're starting a new series today that's called In the Upper Room, and we're going to be exploring exactly this question from Jesus' perspective. We have the privilege over the next few weeks leading up to Easter to be able to spend some time with Jesus and his disciples as Jesus is less than 24 hours away from his crucifixion, and to be able to spend time asking ourselves, what was on Jesus' mind? What was on Jesus' heart? What were the things that Jesus felt were most important to pass on to his disciples, to encourage them to hold on to? Now, we'll say there is a small technicality with this series because some of the events that we're going to look at as we make our way through uh, these chapters in John actually happened on the road to the Garden of Gethsemane. So they left the upper room, they had some conversations on the road on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. But calling the series In the Upper Room and Conversations with Jesus on the road while they were walking to the Garden of Gethsemane seemed a little long, so we've just shortened it down to In the Upper Room. But I actually think that that's a helpful picture for us to hold on to throughout these conversations because we can imagine ourselves sitting in a room with Jesus, with his disciples, and unpacking these things that he's talking about, and not just talking about, but as we're going to see today, modelling for his disciples as well. So a little bit of background context into when this is all occurring. We know that this is all happening on what we call Maundy Thursday or Easter Thursday night, the night before Good Friday. And Jesus and his disciples have come into Jerusalem on the previous Sunday, which we recognise and reflect on and will in a few weeks, what we call Palm Sunday now, where Jesus has entered into Jerusalem and been hailed as a king, been hailed as the Messiah, the rescuer, the one who's going to come and set all of Israel free from the Roman oppression. And so there was all of this massive outpouring of excitement about who Jesus was and what he was going to do. As they make their way through the week, they're getting closer and closer, and this is part of the reason there were so many people in Jerusalem, that there was this festival called Passover that was happening. And so for Jewish people, the Passover festival is the opportunity to be able to look back and reflect on the events that Phil just referred to that took place when the Israelites were set free from slavery in Egypt. And so still today, Jewish people will gather together to celebrate a Passover meal and to use different types of food and drink to be able to re-enter into the story and to remind themselves of this time when God set them free, when God released them from captivity. And so Jesus, as a Jewish man, and his disciples, many of whom were Jewish as well, are getting ready to gather together to celebrate the Passover feast as well. And so that's where we pick things up today, and that's kind of the context of what we're going to be talking about over these next few weeks. So you hopefully have your teaching notes that you uh, grabbed on the way in. You can grab those, jot things down as we go through today's message. And uh, if you have your Bible with you, you can open up to John chapter 13, because that's where we're going to spend some time today. So John chapter 13, starting at verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he'd come from God, and he would return 
to God. So what do you think it must have been like for Jesus emotionally to be understanding everything that was unfolding, to know that this was it, that only in a few hours' time he was going to be crucified? Imagine how you would feel about that. But on top of that, to know that Judas, one of your closest friends, one of the people that you've spent the last three years with, is the one who's going to betray you so that that can happen. But add into that the complexity that Jesus also knew that he had all authority over everything that had been given to him by God, that he had come from God. So imagine that you were Jesus and you knew that all authority over everything had been given to you and you knew what was about to unfold. What would you do? What would you say? It's part of why it's so staggering when we read these next verses about what Jesus did. Because I think most of us would say, well, if I had all authority, I would change some things and stop them from unfolding the way that they were clearly going to. But let's have a look at what Jesus actually does. In verse 4, Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Now, it's important for us to recognise a little bit of context about this. So we know that the Middle East is very, very hot and very, very dusty. And we know that in Jesus' time, no one had cars. So everyone was walking around all the time. So you can imagine your feet on a hot day do what? Kind of sweat. And so when you're walking on dusty roads, guess what your feet end up looking like? Not real pleasant. And then as well as that, in Jesus' day, we also know there's lots of animals around. So donkeys and sheep and cows, probably some camels around too, and so all of them leave a bit of a mess around the place, so you're walking around it, whoop, see, now I've got that on my feet as well, because no one's wearing closed shoes, they're all wearing open-toed sandals as they walk around the place. So you can imagine by the end of the day, the state of your feet, not real pleasant whatsoever. So if you go over to someone's house for dinner, guess what would be kind of important to be able to do? (laughs) Have your feet washed, and so this was the role of one of the servants in the house, to meet you at the door with a bowl with some water and a towel and to wash your feet for you, to wash all of that gunk off so that you could then participate in the meal. This was a symbol of hospitality. This was one of the things that you were greeted with at the door. I was thinking about that this week. Imagine greeters, if this was one of your responsibilities when we arrived on a Sunday. Everyone take your shoes and socks off. We're going to wash your feet for you. Be very, very pleasant. We're not going to ask you to do that. Don't worry. But then as you sit down for a meal, you're not sitting down at a table and chair, you are reclining at the table, as they called it, which means you're kind of lying down with your feet out behind you. So again, it's kind of important to have clean feet if your feet are going to be near someone else as you're eating a meal. So this role was very, very important, but even though it was important, it was a role that was played by a fairly lowly servant. You wouldn't have someone who was kind of the owner of the house or the person who'd invited you over for dinner to be the one who would clean your feet. So, remember what we've just said about Jesus? He knows why he's come. He knows that all authority has been given to him, that he's come from God. And yet, what does he do? He takes off his robe. He wraps a towel around his waist. He grabs a bowl, pours some water into it, and takes up the role of a servant. It's staggering, really, when you stop and think about it that Jesus would be willing to do this. 
that Jesus' identity was so secure in himself that he didn't feel like he needed to prove himself, that he didn't feel like he needed to exert control, that he was happy to say, I'm going to take on the role of a servant. As Paul would say about Jesus later, to empty himself so that he could play this role. So what would you have thought as you saw Jesus get up to do this if you were one of the disciples? Imagine that you're sitting around the table and you see Jesus get up, you see him take his robe off, put the towel around his waist, pour the water. Mine would probably start to scramble a little bit. Oh, yeah, no one washed our feet when we came in. Where was the servant who should have done that? That was pretty awful. No one did this for us. Then you start thinking, Jesus probably shouldn't be the one who's doing this, I wouldn't have thought. So who should have? It shouldn't have been me, should it? Probably one of those lower disciples, you know, one of the ones whose names we can never remember because they're not the important ones. Probably should have been one of them. But it shouldn't have been me, should it, that should have washed people's feet? shouldn't have been Jesus, but who should have done this? Why is he getting up and doing this? And I want you to take that a step further, and you might even like to close your eyes, and imagine that Jesus now comes and kneels before you. Feel free to close your eyes if it's helpful. To be able to picture Jesus, towel around his waist, holding onto the bowl of water, kneeling down before you, ready to wash your feet. How would you have felt? What would you have said to him? Well, Peter does what he so often does and speaks what everyone else is thinking but not willing to say. In verse 6, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Good old Peter speaks up and says, no, no, no way, Jesus, are you going to do this? I'm not letting you wash my feet. I don't deserve this. You're Jesus. I'm Peter. This should be the other way around, if anything. My feet are so disgusting and so messy. I'm not letting you touch them. I'm not letting you clean them. And I wonder if sometimes we feel that way about coming and spending time with Jesus with all of the messiness that we face in our lives. I can't believe that I said that thing to that person. I can't believe that I did that thing to that person. I can't believe that I did that thing again. I know it's not healthy for me. I know that it's not God's best. I'm so ashamed. I can't believe that I haven't spent time with God over these last few days. I don't know where the time goes. A whole week passes by and I haven't spent any time sitting with God, praying, reflecting. What must he think of me? It's so easy for us to allow our shame to get in the way of what Jesus is wanting to do for us or what Jesus is wanting to say for us. No, Jesus, I need to clean myself up a little bit before you can possibly come and spend this time with me. Jesus replies and says, Peter, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus says, Peter, you can't clean yourself up. You can't do this for yourself. If you want to be with me, if you want to belong to me, if you want to journey with me, 
then we have to get this cleaned up. You have to let me do this for you. And so good old Peter, who so often is over here and then swings over to the other extreme, says, well, Jesus, if that's the case, don't just stop with my feet. Dunk me in water. Like pour it all over my head, my hands, clean all of me. I want, to be a, I want to belong to you. I want to be a part of what you're doing. So Jesus replies, and I can imagine he probably started with a little bit of a chuckle. Ha, Peter. A person who's bathed all over doesn't need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. This is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. This is a really powerful picture for us of what happens to us in our relationship with Jesus. We believe because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have been washed clean, completely, entirely clean, completely forgiven, completely set free. It is completely done. But as we walk around day by day, the dust and the gunk of life just kind of accumulates on us. And so we need to keep coming back to Jesus to have him wash that off before it gets too caked on, before it becomes so thick that we forget who we are, that we forget we are actually clean by Jesus. And so that's really what the practice of confession is, is letting Jesus wash our feet, seeing our gunk for what it is, seeing the messiness in our lives for what it is, recognising that it needs to be washed off taking the time to allow Jesus to remind us of who we really are, that we are clean, but that we need this gunk washed off of us so that we can remember who Jesus has made us to be. There's a really important note here that Jesus even washes the gunk off of Judas's feet, even though he clearly knows what Judas is about to do. We're not going to talk about that today because we're going to come back to that next week. But don't miss the power of that, that Jesus chooses to wash even Judas's feet in this moment. Verse 12, after washing their feet, Jesus put on his robe again and he sat down. And he asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet... You ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. This is why we spend so much time talking about what it looks like to follow Jesus. Not just to follow Jesus' teaching, but to follow Jesus' very model of what life looks like. Jesus sets us this incredible example for how to live with everything that he does. His teaching 100% matches up with his actions and his actions 100% match up with his teaching. So it's not enough for us to simply understand and acknowledge Jesus' teaching, to say, yeah, Jesus had some really profound things to say. Jesus had some real inspirational things to say. He was a great teacher. We want to follow him, to live out what he's called us to do and shown us how to do. And so that's why Jesus says that we are to call him teacher and Lord. Yes, his teaching, 
but Lord means leader, the leader of my life, the one who sets the example for me, the one who sets my priorities, the one who helps me to know how to live. So Jesus says, because I've set this example for you, now go and do the same thing. Go and wash other people's feet. So what does that look like for us to go and wash other people's feet? Well, quite simply, it comes down to seeing the needs of others and responding to that. But I don't know about you, sometimes I get a little bit overwhelmed about what that looks like because I see all of the need around me. I see all of the people that I could potentially serve. Sometimes it feels overwhelming. I can't do everything. There aren't enough hours in the day. I only have two sets of hands. There isn't enough money to be able to serve everyone that I would love to be able to serve. And so sometimes that can paralyse me and stop me from doing anything because it's just too overwhelming and too hard. And so that's why as we talk about following Jesus, we often just talk about taking our next step. One thing that we can do as we follow Jesus' example. And it doesn't necessarily have to be something big and profound. Washing someone's feet is about sitting and listening to someone who just desperately needs to have a conversation with someone. Praying with or praying for someone and letting them know that you've done that, that's washing someone's feet. Cooking a meal for someone who you know is going through a bit of a hard time, that's washing someone's feet. Just paying attention to be able to see, here's one thing that I can do right now to be able to help that person out with this thing. That's washing someone's feet. Taking up the opportunities that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks to be able to serve in the things that we do here as a community, but even more than that, being able to come and to have a conversation with a parent at playgroup, being able to come to craft group or to men's shed and to be able to just sit and get to know someone, that's washing someone's feet. There are so many options for us about the things that we can do. It doesn't have to be big, it doesn't have to be costly and it doesn't have to be everything. But it's just that willingness to say, I feel a little bit of a prompting here to follow Jesus' example. Here's an opportunity for me to wash someone's feet and I'm just going to do it. So I want to give us an opportunity to be able to reflect on what that looks like. So your reflection question is, whose feet can I wash this week? And you might want to think about this from two different perspectives. For some of you, there might be someone who's already come to mind, that as we've been talking about this, you can already think of someone. You might want to just jot a note down to say, I'm going to do whatever for that person. But for some of us, it might be helpful to just think about the practice of adopting this every day this week and to write this question down and put it up on our mirror or in our car or next to our bag or next to our computer so that we can see it every day. Whose feet can I wash today and to just keep that in mind. But what does that look like for you? Take some time to reflect. You can chat with the person next to you if you want to and we'll come back and pray and transition to communion.
pray. Jesus, we thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to call you teacher and Lord. We thank you that you did have so many profound things to say. But more than that, you gave us a model for how to live our lives. And that even in these final hours before your crucifixion, you chose to take off your robe, to put on a towel and to adopt the posture of a servant because you knew that's what needed to be done. But also to just show that you're not above this. It staggers us when we stop and recognise who you are and your understanding of who you are, that you would choose to let go of all of that and to empty yourself of all of that so that you could take on the role of a servant. And we know that the washing of the disciples' feet was just the beginning as you then adopt that role of a servant all the way to the cross. We thank you that because of your sacrifice for us, because of your death and resurrection, we are now clean that you see us that way as people who are forgiven, who have been set free and released. We pray that you would continue to remind us of that. But as we go through day by day, week by week, and the dust and the gunk of life accumulates on us, we pray that you would help us to know that it's okay for us to come back to you, to allow you to wash us in those areas where we need to be washed so we can be reminded of who we really are. And then as we live that out, we pray that you would help us to see the opportunities to serve the people around us. We know and we acknowledge that it can be overwhelming at times. We thank you that you understand that. We can only imagine how overwhelmed you must have felt at all of the people that you could have served, all of the people who you could have healed, all of the people whose feet you could have washed. But you knew what you needed to do and you washed your disciples' feet. And so we pray that as we head into this week, that you would just give us those subtle little nudges that we need, those little reminders. Here's an opportunity to serve this one, to not feel overwhelmed by the enormity of everyone that we could serve, but to see the opportunities we've got to reflect you, to follow you, and to live like you. In your name we pray. Amen.